Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Film of Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me ready to take on bad guys, one sidekick at a time, is my best friend and sidekick and co-host, Aaron. This one's all on you, brother. I am not the man you want beside you at a martial arts tournament. <laughs> I know you've got the whole hiya kicking boards, and yeah. you got like the belt of many colors, like Joseph, right now. But um, yeah. I'm I'm gonna stand in the back, and I'm gonna cheer you on with gusto. I will be That's your fine. cheerleader. You can be the the bolo to my uh, to my Bruce Lee if you get the think bolo might have a little <laughs> a little <laughs> muscles on me. Just a little few, just a, a few. bit. Lost in Bolo there. We'll get into him a little bit. But anyway, uh, this year, 2023, marked 50 years since the premiere of Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon. This is the first Hollywood movie that Bruce Lee got a chance to be a part of. Unfortunately, as most people know, he was not able to be at the premiere. He passed away about a month before this thing hit the big screen. But we are here to give you our spoiler-filled thoughts on it since it is turning 50. And I personally thought this would be a lot of fun to revisit. I haven't really looked at this movie maybe in the last three or four years. Um, and so let this be your official spoiler warning as we get right into the the meat of the movie. I wanted to start out, Aaron, with a quote. <laughs> so these older movies, I like looking up reviews to kind of yeah. uh, you know jar my brain a little bit for discussion topics because, I mean, we could talk about the stuff that we always do, which we will. But I ran across Gene Siskel's review. And he torpedoed this movie, which was really surprising because this thing hits up really high in Rotten Tomatoes, both on the critic side as well as the uh, as the the fan side. But he says, "quote uh, He says it was quote a shameful copy of Doctor No. Its dialogue approaches the infantile. Its characters are cruel parodies of human beings." And I'm like, "Dang, wow." Mike drop, Gene. Uh, <laughs> I guess you didn't like it so much. In fact, the rest of the article, it's interesting. I didn't know this about um, some of the older reviews that get posted on Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually a scan of a newspaper article. So Yeah, it's cool. Got, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is cool. And at the end of it, he talks about him celebrating four years in the movie review industry. So he's like, yeah, I'm turning four. Oh, cool. And as I like to do each year, I like to kind of give you a recap of how I do my stars. He said four stars. He does one through four. Mm -hmm. Four stars is I'm going to take you kicking and screaming to this movie because it's worth seeing all the way down to this movie, which he gave a half, like a half star. <laughs> I was just like, this is one of like, this is monumentally like, like bad to him. So I wanted to ask you as someone who, you know, is into Bruce Lee as much as maybe the next guy, you know, just kind of casual. Is he right? Is is he is is this what this is? And if so, is that okay? I think that it, first of all, it is a pretty shameless Doctor No ripoff. Like pretty blatantly, that feels like the inspiration for this. And also, Doctor No doesn't hold up so well. If you have not watched it as an adult, I will say, uh, or with you know discerning eyes, you might not realize just how racist and like it, it's not great like it's not the best movie in the world there are several james bond's early adventures that are 
not nearly as good as I remember watching them at 12 year old in the 1980s or whatever. So, you know, to that point, I think this movie does a good job of echoing that formula. And I think a lot of what he says is correct. I, I don't think it is infantile. That is, a, that's like a, I mean, that's a big dig right there to be, and that's a little clickbaity in a time when there wasn't clickbait, but that feels like clickbaity, that word, you know, uh, but I will agree that it is bordering on the quote, cruel parody of human beings. These are not at all normal human beings. None of them are, but neither are the people in James Bond movies. And so I think the point stands that he may be correct in the way he is like defining what the film is, but whether or not you enjoy that, you need to be at least, maybe he was, maybe he hated most spy movies. Uh, for me, it is an exciting, a little bit different, unique martial arts flavored version of a James Bond movie. I think that's what most people would say. And there's a charisma there that Bruce Lee brings to it that you don't get in other pictures that are of this type. It's a different style that he brings um, of charisma than like a Roger Moore or a Sean Connery. And so I'm down for it, even though I don't think that it is by any means like the best writing for a movie. Yeah. As I watch it as an adult and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee loved his, um, the 30 for 30 B water uh, about him. And I, I became a big fan of his, just not really his philosophy per se, but the idea of the way in which he thought about life, like the human dough and things of that nature. There's just, there's a lot out there. The mystique behind Bruce Lee as a person, I think is part of what carries the success of this movie. Like he was popular as an actor, but more as an action star. So I would put him in the vein of maybe a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone in terms of having big screen presence and Enter the Dragon having the budget that it did gave him the opportunity to bring that over to us on the American side. I've seen Fist of Fury. I've seen other, other of his movies. And there's definitely a production step down in those movies. But what's not lost is this action adventure guy. And I agree with, with, with Gene Siskel. I think that this is definitely a Dr. No ripoff in terms of the story beats. You've got the bad guy. You've even got the, the, the hand and you've got the sidekick and you've got the female. But I think this is what was appropriate for the 1970s. This is what was successful, black exploitation, and it's big comic book fun. That's where I think it succeeds. And when you look at it in the vein of an action-adventure comic book-like movie, minus CGI and actual comic book characters, I can see each one of these scenes in a page of a comic book just flying off the page. Because... I think what Bruce Lee brings as an artist is this larger-than-life persona, and every one of these characters that we come across is not a person. They are a character. They are an absolute, like, larger-than-life version or a parody version of the type of bad guy. I didn't feel any kind of, like, sympathy for his loss of his sister. I didn't feel any kind of, like, 
anger towards Han. It was all meant to be a sense of like, this is big fun. Like this is the Meg where you have a hint of emotion, but it doesn't have to be something that's going to hit you like completely emotionally because excitement is an emotion as well. And so when we watch Enter the Dragon, we watch it sitting in the in the kind of the cup of the era that it was, I can see why it was such a big deal because of what he brought to the table. We look at, when you look at James Bond, he's a larger than life character. He's a womanizer. You put that same kind of story centered around a martial artist who talks about focusing on the moon and not on the finger and a, a guy who tells you that boards don't hit back. It's those lines that don't, they're memorable because they feel like, like a fish out of water. Bruce Lee is very much a fish out of water character in this kind of movie. And the other thing is that these are not movies that were around. Like this is the template for, I think, a lot of the big martial arts movies that came after it. I, I, it was funny. I, I started thinking about Enter the Dragon is to Jackie Chan what I think Akira Kurosawa is to Seven, uh, The Magnificent Seven. So I can appreciate Seven Samurai. I will not watch it on repeat because it's long and it's boring to me, but I can absolutely appreciate the inspiration that it brought to a couple of iterations of its story and how it inspired George Lucas with, with Star Wars. I think that's what Enter the Dragon did. Enter the Dragon brought with it a sense of this is how a good martial arts movie can be. Was it great? It was good. And I think the spirit of what makes it great and what came on after it is what elevates it. I don't think it's one that like, I would love to have seen it in the theater when it released for the 50th anniversary, because it would have been amazing to see it on the big screen. But this is not one that I find a lot of like repeatability in terms of this is on my watch list every year because there are better martial arts movies, but only because Enter the Dragon existed first. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally fair. And I think, you know, it's going to be the case for a lot of movies that we go back and watch from eras that came before us, and specifically before effects were a thing. I think this is a rewatchable. Uh, for me, I, I don't I don't watch it often, but... It's so much fun, and it is the epitome of what I would think is there there are laundry movies, and then there are like the best laundry movies to me, this is like the best laundry movie. I don't care about the plot, not even a, a small iota one bit doesn't matter don't even I actually for most of this one, I was forgetting what was even going on, so you fold your laundry, you tune out. You look around the room, you check your texts, and then the moment that somebody says something witty, you you turn your head to the screen and you you dial in and you watch some fighting, or you watch some some good banter. You know, like when the whatever I forgot what her name is because I don't remember or care about her at all. But like the lady who works for Han, who brings in the girls um, to the various competitors, those scenes are really entertaining to me but then there are plenty of scenes where i'm just like okay whatever you know i'm just a moment program and, but i think th there's a charm to this movie because of that 
And yeah, I think it does also get a bump because it's Bruce Lee's last movie. And it was the one where he truly did get a chance to shine. So even if it's not the best thing compared to other stuff, it's the best we've got of him. And, you know, we'll take that and we'll give it a little extra weight because of that. I was reading an article today. I think it was his daughter that had given an interview and said this was actually one of the only times she ever heard her father's voice. Like this was not dubbed over vocalization for him. It was just him truly acting straight up, getting to talk in the movie. And that was really cool. And I think that that is evident in this as well. Um, and to its benefit, uh, I think that, you know, he carries the movie. He He's a charming guy. He has a charisma. He has a presence. And those other guys that are caricatures, they do them well. <laughs> Whether it's O'Hara or Williams, like all of them, they are bringing that persona and taking it appropriate to 11. And it's just an absolute blast to watch. Yeah, I think watching him is like watching um, when you think about, uh, when you think about like nostalgia that could probably be like re rebuilt or, or reinvented or whatever. He reminds me a lot of uh, when you think of uh, painting, you know, Bob Ross, because like he's made a name. Like I remember, I think a few weeks ago, I was reading that he became really popular on Twitch. These like old reruns of Bob Ross painting. And there's something cool about the nostalgia of this guy with big hair painting and being very much in with his voice and everything. And I, I think that I caught that when I was first introduced to Enter the Dragon because t there were two like cultural references that distinctly like connected me to Enter the Dragon. The first one came with Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon in 1987 or something like that. And there's a scene where a bunch of people are in the theater and they're watching Enter the Dragon. And so I distinctly remember the scene that plays out that's being repeated in quote real life in the theater of this big fight that's happening. And I was like, what, what is that from? And then later on, there are other references to other Bruce Lee movies, but Enter the Dragon was the one in the theater. The second one, I don't know if you remember this, Aaron, but our, our old pal T-Bone, our rap artist that we loved to listen to in the nineties, <laughs> there was a, there was a, there was a sample from this movie where he goes, you could call that the art of fighting without fighting, you know, show me some, it, it's that, that whole scene on the boat where he gets the guy to commit to getting into the boat, thinking he's going to fight him on the boat. And he ends up, you know, like leaving him trailing Phenomenal. the bigger ship. Yeah, it's great. Phenomenal. It's great. And I, and I look at that. And when I was introduced to enter the dragon the first time from those references, it connected me. But what's, what stayed with me was that Bruce Lee as an actor infuses himself into the role so you you look at some of these asian actors bruce lee plays like i think his first name is lee or they call him lee or they call him bruce like it's he's just lee. bruce lee it's lee lee is yeah, his first lee. name i think I, I it's just lee yeah um then bolo is another one uh but some of the other like american actors they have you know character names and whatnot so i thought that was really interesting but what i think comes with appreciation and a little bit more thinking through is how we get introduced to him as a character because 
I almost feel like this is an actor's journey in this story, not in becoming an actor, but he's being recruited for his martial arts skills, which Bruce Lee has, the, the actor. And he shows off who he is by accenting his ability to teach. So you have that little scene with the guy where with the, the kid, little, yeah, the kid, the temple, yeah, before he leaves. Yeah. And I'm like, this is Bruce Lee, the actor doing this. He's not necessarily acting. He is, he's teaching in this moment. And I thought this is something we don't see a lot. We don't see actors. We don't see a, a Tom Holland playing himself in a role that, feels a little bit bombastic and it's a little jarring to be honest because we don't see that a lot and i don't know if it works quote unquote but i do find it very interesting because it's almost like we're getting a peek into him as a human being um i think in a lot of the the older ones like chinese connection and fist of fury he's playing a parody of himself like he's playing a character it's all about the martial arts whereas with enter the dragon you can almost see some of his philosophy bleeding through this ability to fight without fighting. The, there is no style. There is this, it's like you are getting a chance to say, ah, if we didn't get to see any more Bruce Lee, which is the case, this might be the best representation of him as a human being, apart from a biographical movie, which I honestly would love to see. Not a, not a not a reenactment per se, but I'd love to get something beyond be water to a point where we because he's such a complex individual, but I think that that plays into his character in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I, you know, just overall perspective that we don't see that from other people, other than maybe Vin Diesel. <laughs> I think would be an example yeah. of someone who kind of plays Probably. himself. But yeah. that gets old really fast. I don't, I think it would as well with Bruce. I think it would have been interesting to see how his career evolved and whether even at that time in, in history, we could have seen Hollywood evolve past the point of just seeing him as nothing more than his martial arts, right? Or could he learn to be a genuinely strong actor in a way that carried a movie that wasn't a comic booky caricature um, it would have been nice to know if those things would happen maybe they would maybe they wouldn't you know vin diesel made a name for himself by being that same caricature in a certain level a certain group of films whether it was fast and the furious or even like the pitch black movies and that's what he became loved for but you know that only takes you so far i, I do think there is, I agree with you, like having him and his own personal philosophies kind of built into there, it, it probably helps make it more personal for him and make the acting easier in a way. I would assume that's probably why they kept his name as Lee as well. But just to, to sort of make it less of, less of a struggle to carry the film, um, I'm just assuming here, but that makes sense to me. Uh, to kind of slowly let him get used to it. And he does such a great job, but yeah, those scenes are goofy and it's the, it's partially, it's the writing and partially it's his delivery. Uh, you know, it's, it's not seasoned. It's not great acting yet. You know, don't think, feel like I giggle at that scene, but it's, it's not because I think Bruce Lee is, 
intentionally acting in a comic book manner. I think he's acting normally. It just happens to feel like that to us. Does that make sense? And I don't want to say, like, I'm making fun of the guy. I'm not at all. This is a hard thing that he was trying to do, and he was new to it. And he did a solid job at portraying the character the way that the script is written. But the script is written that way, I think, because he wasn't ready to do it in a different way either. There's, there's There's two avenues here. And I think that the appeal of Bruce Lee to an American audience came from his portrayal on Green Hornet. Like, the small screen, you got this dude that is doing things that nobody else is doing from a choreographed standpoint, from an action, a fight sequence standpoint. And I, I fully believe that the, I think Warner Brothers, maybe it's Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers completely like exploited that. They're like, listen, this guy's going to make us a ton of money because he does things that are very different than any other action star at the time. And even in Enter the Dragon, you watch this, I mean, there are times when I'm laughing because the choreography is goofy as all get out. And again, it's not meant to be that way, but it's not ultimate to be serious either. Like I'm watching in the background, my wife's watching a, a show on Netflix and I'm seeing some dude just get pummeled to death by some dude just stepping on him constantly. I'm like, that's brutal. What do we get in Enter the Dragon? We get Lee in slow motion with his like face stepping on O'Hara but we never see O'Hara get stepped on. We just hear what I think is probably the best supporting actor is the Foley artist in this movie. I was going to say, I, no- it, totally. The sound yeah. design, it, every slap and every, like, it, it, you can tell they're not hitting each other a yeah. lot of the time. It's very yeah. obvious. But I think that, I think that's what the audience was craving. They want to be immersed in this tactile through audio type thing and when you combine that with the amazing choreography with all the players it creates really great action and that's when you can forgive everything else i think what's happened is just like with the evolution of movies in general things just get better and some things get worse but but we can say that we're on a positive trajectory when it comes to movies that can combine good drama with good action. They don't have to have everything. And again, I go back to a movie like The Meg, whose like underlying plot I'm not going to remember as being like, that's worth talking about or that's worth really remembering. But what I am going to remember is Jason Statham, you know, punching a shark in the face because that's memorable. And when you look at everything about this movie, you're exactly right, Aaron. The parts that I remember are all Bruce, like everything. And I don't think that's bad because that's why people came to see the movie is to see Bruce Lee do his thing. And it's really interesting to speculate thinking, okay, if Bruce Lee was in his twenties, maybe early thirties, I don't remember when he, when he passed away, when this movie came out, what would that look like if we saw the eighties as they were, would he become the next Jackie Chan? Would he become, would he, would he lean more into the Mr. Miyagi of the, like the old sage, that kind of thing? It's, it's such an interesting thing to think about because I think from what I remember about him, he wanted to be considered a legit actor. But as we've seen, just like what you mentioned with Vin Diesel, and even to an extent, there are others um, that are out there who are fine fitting those roles that are right for them. Keanu Reeves is I one mean, of those great actors. Who, Ryan Reynolds. 
All, he, all he does anymore is himself. Yeah. And success can be defined by however you want it. I mean, Ryan Reynolds' success as an actor gives him the ability to buy a football club, which has found success in other things as, you know, gin and cell phones and stuff. So the name, the brand, I think that's what we would probably get from Bruce Lee. I don't think he'd be considered a sellout, but I think he would expand his brand beyond just movies. Like, I think he would become, you know, your popular stuntman or stunt choreographer or something like that. I don't know, but I think that there's something interesting about this little shot in time of this movie of what could be, because there are pockets of greatness that live in this movie with him, particularly when he's like, there's one thing that stands out where he, he takes on a snake, like this little viper thing. And he like hovers it with the, with the, with the, with the bag. And then it's real. Like it's legit real. I thought, Oh, it's a rubber snake. No, I no, no. It's wrapping it. So I don't know. Yeah. Don't it, do it was snakes. wrapping himself around the thing. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. be snakes, right? <laughs> like Indiana Jones would not, live well here but it's things like that that i think people respect about it because they i think they respect what he could be and the the little shining lights of things in the movie that make it so much fun at the end of the day though aaron it's all about the action and i think this movie hits a lot of solid beats when it comes to its set pieces in particular i love the one-on-one stuff i think the whole thing with o'hara and and Bruce is probably one of my top three moments. I actually, I wanted to like Roper's fight with Bolo, but he is not the greatest when it comes to like martial arts choreography. Like all I can picture is the dad from Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> because that's who it is. But Jackson, uh, that guy knows how to fight and I love watching him, but in, in terms of some of these action pieces, was there anything that stood out to you of, uh, of like promise? Like that's a memorable scene for me. The, the opening fight is terrible. It is one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen in a martial arts movie <laughs> in my life. And I was rewatching this and I'd forgotten about this opening scene and it sets up really cool. Cause it's like him in this almost sumo esque looking guy. And he's just a really large guy. And, you know, they're surrounded by these different people at the temple. And I love it because they're all in different colors of robe. And so it's got this real nice visual appeal to it. But the fight itself is just, it's bad. And it ends in essentially what is an early, I guess, MMA submission takedown. Like he taps. I was like, what is happening? I can't believe this was happening in a movie this early in history. I don't know that I'd seen that before. So it's memorable because of the tap and that, but like as a fight, it's pretty silly. And I do like that he like flips over the guy. So there, there's like guys that put their arms together from the sides, uh, you know, and he like flips over their arms, which is pretty cool. Uh, but the the best two fights for me are definitely the the Leon O'Hara fight, the one where he says boards don't hit back um, to get it started, and then just gives him. A major ass whooping. I mean, the the flip kick, forward flip kick, the the kicking him straight in the junk. I, I mean, no holds barred. Like I just loved everything about that fight. And then I also love the final fight. I think from the moment that he gets engaged with Han, it is just the the best exquisite cinematography and choreography both 
in that design. The mirror stuff, man, it's awesome. Like you, I can that's something I will always remember is because of that Han with his claw reveal, and you know when you know Lee gets cut on his chest and he does the he like licks the blood off his wound and just goes into full rage mode it, it reminded me i am listening this is a very random comparison but i'm listening to this dungeons and dragon campaign right now and one of the characters is a werewolf and to initiate his werewolf form normally he's a gnome and he, he has to cut himself right and then he like goes into like this rage and werewolf mode. so it's all about like the blood kind of bringing that out and i was thinking about it when han did that it was like that created this rage in him and so everything about that final seen as memorable and then i guess my poor guy williams getting beat to death in front of a bunch of girls hopped up on drugs laughing was that is it's not the best fight scene but it is up there in the memorable moments of this movie because i love him in this role and it was maybe the most narratively strong single scene in the film for me because it actually nailed home what they said way back in the beginning about how Han might be involved in this drug trafficking and prostitution sex trafficking where he would get women addicted to drugs and then sell them off and it's really not or you know we don't deal with the narrative in a way where that's we're constantly unraveling mysteries and and the truth but that scene and the way it went down was a truly like expertly framed moment for the narrative in a way that I don't think the rest of the film has a bunch of. And so, yeah, I really appreciated that scene even, and it hurts me. Like it makes me sad too that, and that's an emotion that is the only time I feel that in this whole movie. Yeah. I, I miss the fact that I kind of wish that Roper and Jackson had switched places because I think that Jackson had, he sold the martial arts better than Roper did. Like, yeah. his long legs. Roper's just a gambling debt, dude. Yeah, he, he was different. Yeah, and so, you know, I got, I got Mortal Kombat vibes because, again... 100%. You know, this, I did, this, too. This, this movie <laughs> Going to an island for a tournament. Yeah. Blood sport, <laughs> you know, it's like including Bolo, you know, coming out, Chan Lee, you know, doing his thing. But I think that what makes these sub supporting characters so great is the fact that they're encompassing those types of satirical characters which is why roper to me felt a little weaker than jackson so jackson comes across in this way as like this charismatic i love the way that like this one of my one of the funniest scenes to me was was one that sort of epitomized um in a sense jackson versus uh jackson and roper roper they they put that side bet where jackson like basically hustles the dude uh because roper is like um, what is it? Like he takes the punch and he gets the guy to go up like, you know, three, three to one odds. But the way that they look back at each other, you got like <laughs> Jackson, like not yet, not yet. And I half expect a rubber to just get his butt kicked because he just never came across as a guy beyond just a gambler who plays golf sort of halfway. Okay. And I love the charisma of, of Jackson from the moment that he gets to pick his girl or in his case, like the four girls that he wants to hang out with, you know, and, and spend the night with. He feels like besides Lee, he feels like the most interesting character 
because of how tall he is, because that big fro and the way in which he actually gets killed in that such like, like psychedelic way. Like when that happened, I almost felt like I was watching the monkey's like head, this like weird psychedelic trippy type thing. Like Enter the Dragon was going into like psychedelic world because of this weird thing that was happening. And I think that that's the moment that kind of made me connect a little bit more with Han's like seriousness. Like I didn't take Han seriously in watching some of these little fights take place between Lee and O'Hara. But after that happened, leading up to that big fight, I was wanting Han to get his just desserts, which is a good way. It's a, it's a good indicator that you have identified the bad guy in a way that you want him to get killed. The, that last shot I thought was amazing where it shows him with the thing in his chest, but the angle, I don't know if this was the cinematographer's uh, like intent, but I couldn't tell, like, like I knew he had been stabbed, but then when Lee like, like spins the room, spins the door and it's like, oh my gosh, he went right through that spear. Are you kidding me? It was kind of a cool, it was probably one of the best special effects, the practical effects that I'd seen in the entire movie because, you know, Lee with his, you know, his drippings of blood that weren't really, uh, none of that felt real. It felt very kind of weak, but that moment was like, yet, And it comes on the heels of such a great choreographed sequence with the, uh, with the mirrors where he, you know, and this is a criticism I have, you know, beating and breaking the glass. Okay. First four seconds. Great. Don't do it for another 15. I get it. You're destroying everything. Okay. <laughs> Let's get the editing down just a little bit. But I think that it's a great way to finish the movie, this big fight with the bad guy. And then <laughs> it, it leaves them with looking at Roper, kind of nodding at him like, yes, my work here is done. And like, yay, here comes the helicopter and we're going to get off the island like in Lost, but not really. And then it's just, it's, it's a great way to finish. And I think it's appropriate. It doesn't feel weird. doesn't feel like cheap. It feels just long enough and just the way to end the movie, which I thought was, was really nice. Yeah, quick in, uh, insert here. Every time you say Jackson, audience, he means Williams. I thought you had me second-guessing myself, so I... Oh, is it not Jackson? His I name is was... Williams. I, I was like, is his name Jackson Williams? And I just missed his first name. Oh, my bad. His name is Williams. not Jack. It's His Williams. name is it's Jim Kelly, and he is the actor. Uh, it is, his character name is Williams. I, I don't okay. know. My I don't bad have any idea. Williams. So I was like, I was like, well, I mean, you really that. had me second guessing myself. I was like, there's yeah, another I, character that you don't know about. <laughs> Who's he talking about? Jackson. Sorry. Um, Williams. But to your point on the, the ending, yeah, it, it's pretty hilarious because there's no wrap up. There's no debrief back with MI6 or whatever at the end of this. There, you know, the, did what happened to the island and, and did, did the girls get, you know, rescued and sit home and all these things. It just kind of, it just ends. He just beat the bad guy and that was it. It's over. That was all that mattered. Um, I, I do think it's a cool setup though, just to get him on the island. I think the structure of the movie, not only the tournament piece that gives him the in into a, an, an audience, but the idea of the villain Han having survived an assassination attempt and therefore banning all weapons on the island, giving you the reason to have a purely martial arts movie in which guns can't factor in and be a problem. I thought that that was pretty smart uh, because 
Yeah. You know, otherwise you're going to have to do some suspension of disbelief. And we didn't have to do that because they told us in the narrative why it was that way. Yeah. I think, I think what makes the movie work for a lot of people is the simplicity of it. This inability to have to use guns or practical effects. And it allows the choreography, it allows the cinematography to sort of try to shine. I, I don't say it shines all the time, but you realize that what you can get in slow motion is more effective because of how fast Bruce Lee was. So a lot of the chore all the choreography was done by him. Now, I don't know if he was connected to the cinematographer in particular in scenes where you have the first person point of view where someone's trying to punch. But I thought the ones, the, the parts that worked really well are the ones that were the close hand-to-hand -hand combat. And when you had large amounts of, of people coming at him, those are the parts that I really cheered for. I remember specifically on this time around watching the movie and going, oh, here it comes, because I knew he was going to just beat the mess out of everybody. But I remember reading about how his, his movements were so fast that it was difficult for the stuntmen, the, the people that were fighting him, to react. So he would kick and miss, and then like almost a second later, they would react. And so he would actually have to slow down his kicks, which is why you see a lot of the bigger pieces, not the multiple people, but some of the, the closer stuff go in slow motion because it kind of sold the audience that, oh, this person was getting, getting hit and their reaction wasn't necessarily as, as prominent. And so I thought that's, that's probably why a lot of people gravitate towards this movie is because it's just so much fun to see the simplicity of good martial arts. It's, it's when you watch like the flash television series, one of the things I really enjoyed when I was watching it was how great the choreography was in the hand to hand combat. Because when you try to add a weapon to it, or when you create somebody like Thanos, who's huge, how do you make that feel weighted? How do you make that feel humanized? When you see Bolo take on, uh, take on Roper, it, it, it has to be Roper kicking him in the junk for him to go down because Bolo is a huge dude. And he is still a huge dude in the mid-1980s when he takes on Jean-Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport. So watching that play out, I think seeing somebody like Bruce Lee do what he does, having him around tons of people to, to fight like that really amplifies the martial arts to a point where you're, you're, you're not paying attention to the fact, oh, did he really hit him? Or, hey, that guy fell a little bit you know, slower or quicker or whatever. And it's just, I think that's, the, that's the, the eye candy that people stick around for. Like That's the parts that I cheer for. Those are the parts that I'm looking forward to. I skip, if I can, I'll skip through the small like dialogue here and there. And whether that's being disrespectful to Bruce Lee as an actor, I think it's just the reality of what this movie is. And that's just an action movie. Whatever the future of Bruce Lee was going to be, we won't ever know. But I think that's where we can appreciate the fact that at the very least, it sets the table for what's to come. And that's why we get what we get in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well said. It's williams not jackson williams yeah in the movie actually says man when he sees han he says man you come right out of a comic book yeah i mean it knows what it is and we celebrate movies like that all the time we celebrate fast and the furious um for the elements of them when they know what they're trying to be and i think that is one of the things that 
allows me to really enjoy this so much is when a movie doesn't, not necessarily when a movie doesn't take itself seriously, this one in particular doesn't, but when a movie embraces fully what it wants you to experience and doesn't try to break it up by putting in a dramatic scene here or there and then also try to be crazy and zany and comic booky. There's a problem at times in film when movies just try to please all audiences is what I'm getting at. And it doesn't do that. And that's why it's as good as it is, is because it's consistent in what it is delivering to you. It never tries to pretend that it's higher minded than it is to, you know, make you think that it's got this grand mystery on its mind. No, it's not about that. And it knows that. And it's, it's comfortable in its skin. And, yeah. and that's what makes it so much fun just to watch. Yeah, I can appreciate a movie that's unapologetic about what it tries to be. I think that's why you have success with parody films that are not only making fun of, but trying to capture the spirit of the thing that they are parodying. And that's not what this is doing. It is unequivocally a martial arts movie. And if you want to define what a martial arts movie is, you always have to go back to this movie as the staple because I don't think of anything else besides what I've grown up with. I think of The Last Dragon because that's what I grew up with. But The Last Dragon is what it is because Enter the Dragon set a set the tone for being unapologetic about having larger than life character. Like when I think of shown up, there's no way that a guy like shown up is going to exist in the world that I live in. And I'm kind of glad because if he has the glow and it's red and not blue, I'm in trouble. You know, I don't have that kind of power. If I don't know if you've seen the last dragon, but okay, it's over your head. But for those about a dragon, does it have an actual dragon? I think I'm you out. need to queue up. Out. I think I think you need to. Bury, I think you need to queue up Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Wait, it does it have a dragon? Does it have an actual dragon? Does no, the guy turn into a dragon? No, no, oh, but, man. But, but I will say, like a movie like that is to the '80s and Motown because it's Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. What Enter the Dragon is to the '70s, complete with the black exploitation, complete with the insane '70s score, like the. I mean, it's. It's pure 70s, and I love it because it's very time-specific. It is not timeless in the sense that if you cue this up in 2023, you're like, man, this doesn't feel like 1973. No, it feels completely like 1973. And so it makes me wonder if you were to remake Into the Dragon, which you wouldn't because Bruce Lee is not around. But if you were to remake something like this, you couldn't do it if for the only reason that William's character would not be who he is because you wouldn't have that kind of black exploitation. And I think that even little moments like that, elements like that remind us that studios took advantage of what was popular. Should they apologize for that? Nope. And in all honesty, as much as I love Bruce Lee, I think if you hadn't had Bruce Lee in this movie, it wouldn't, it would be just another action movie with some martial arts here and there. And if that right, if that's wrong, I don't know, but there's something to be said about a larger than life person who elevates a movie. Like I almost wish it said Bruce Lee's entered the dragon because that's really what it is. 
So however it finds its success, whether it's from nostalgia or the elevation of a character or an actor that never got to see it, it's here. And I encourage anybody who likes martial arts, who likes Bruce Lee, who likes just fun 70s action, check this out. It's on Max, I think, right now. And it's on Max. It's on Would Max. this movie have been better with Cliff Booth? Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Since he kicked Bruce Lee's butt, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, <laughs> only if his dog was in it, that might, that might. Oh that yeah, might Brandy, out, yeah. if Brandy, yeah, Brandy, oh man, if he brought Brandy to the island, it would have been Dude, over real quick. It, okay, so let, let, let's retract. If, if this movie was made with Cliff in the role of Roper. Oh so man, I yeah, am seriously. so sold. That it, right there. Give me that Bruce would be Lee. pretty awesome. Give me Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, I need him as Roper. And that would do it for me. And then, and then, and then Keith Williams. Not Jackson, oh, but Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. So that's our, that's our wish list of like what it would be like in 2025. Another dragon for a new audience. All right. That's it for me. Aaron, you got anything else? Uh, no. But before you do your outro, I don't know what we're doing next week yet. So whatever you have written down, <laughs> just know it's up in the air for the moment. I, I don't know if you have written down. We we may end up trying to do I Grand Chavez. Are we doing that one? No. I haven't seen it. Are you serious? This is an Anna Kendrick <laughs> movie. Don't it. hurt me like seen, that. I have okay. seen it. Yes, yes. Uh, we can do that eventually, actually. I love Anna Kendrick, Kendrick movies. Uh, I was going to say, we're, we may end up doing Gran Turismo. We may push it just simply because we have some friends at another podcast, a gaming podcast, that I would like to do that show with. But they both live in the South, along with Patrick. Uh, but I think at least one of them is a teacher and you guys start school sooner than we do. And so it's that time of year and we're trying to work schedules out. So I will say, I don't know what we're doing next week. It'll be fun regardless. We always have that kind of thing going for us. So thanks for listening, everybody. Aaron, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for this conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.